Hey, Tash, guess what? What's up, Robbie? Real Faith is starting soon. Oh, cool. Uh, shouldn't we be preparing? Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. How are you going this beautiful Thursday? Oh, it's a beautiful Thursday and I'm doing very well. That's good. Yeah. Now, tell me why you're doing well, Tash. So I stopped by. There's a new cafe called The Food Pharmacy and I got yeah. And it's really good. I grabbed an iced chai that had some organic vegan ice cream in it and it was amazing. Oh, it does sound good. It was good. So The Food Pharmacy. Tell me a little bit more about The Food Pharmacy. What do you know? What I know is is that they create these um, 
amazing things. Uh, they have drinks, they have hot drinks, they've got smoothies, they've got butter bowls, and everything is not only vegan, but it's organically sourced. And it's created by um, one of our friends here. Her name is Camilla Scaff. She's one of the chefs there. And um, she's, it's not just a cafe. It's like, uh, it's part of this this whole complex, which is about healthy living and promoting, um, yeah, like not just alternative, but good ways, good food. So, like, yeah, you like, might call it like connected to, to, to whole holistic health yeah. or preventative medicine, all sorts of things. Lifestyle medicine is probably a yeah, better is, word for it. Which is why I love the, the name food pharmacy. So it's like food that actually can help you heal, food that actually can help, yeah, do good things for your body rather than, yeah. That's awesome. So if you are in the Newcastle or Lake Macquarie region, you should go check them out. They are located in Cardiff. I can't remember the name. I think it's on Ada Street from memory. And uh, they're in the Attune Medical Health Center. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah. check them out. Food pharmacy. Pharmacy like farm, A-C-Y. Not yeah, like, so like the chemist. It's a nice play on words. I yeah. actually went there last week um, as well. And it was yeah. it was really, really lovely food. Really tasty. And it was nice to be able to... Uh, to do that. And I mm. took something home to my wife and she was pleased. She was very pleased. Mm. And so you know if it pleased a pregnant woman that you are doing well. So yes. good on you, Food Pharmacy. <laughs> anyway, we have got a great show lined up for you guys today. Super excited to be continuing. We're going to hear from our friends today from Raymond Terrace. And uh, I'm, I'm scared I'm going to butcher her name. I think it was Aisha. Oh, I, Michelle's like waving her head at me saying, you said it wrong, but um, trying to be <laughs> encouraging. But anyway, we're going to hear and we're going to learn how to pronounce her name properly yep. when she comes on for Testify. We're going to hear some wonderful facts about the world that God has made. And uh, we're going to be continuing our journey through the book of John. I love that alliteration, the journey through John. And we're going to be going on to John chapter eight today. And there is a very, very famous, one of perhaps the most famous and popular stories of all of the gospel accounts, and it only occurs in John chapter 8. So you're going to want to check that out, make sure you hang out for that. And today, also, you can call or text in at any time with your questions. We love to hear from you and talk about the questions you have about God, the Bible, spirituality, etc., and to do that in our Question of the Week portion. And also, we're going to have a giveaway today of a book, and we're going to tell you a little bit about a little bit more about that after our next song, but you can get Get your hands on that, and we're going to tell you a bit more about that a bit later. So hang on to your hats and glasses. This is Cardiphonia Music, Jesus My All. Jesus My All to heaven has gone. Glory, hallelujah. He who my fix my hopes upon. Glory, hallelujah. I want to see. Oh, yeah. 
to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash and we want to welcome you back to Faith FM and now it's time for a weird and wonderful world weird and wonderful I love this segment of the show I get to see it I get to learn so many cool things yeah you did you did say it (laughs) well done yeah I had a mouthful of mandarins so I couldn't really say much well he's got a bag full of mandarins you should see it's good yeah by the way if you uh, have not been shopping at Woolworths lately go hit up the odd bunch the uh, I found this week that there were some mandarins on sale yeah they just Mm. have bags of odd bunches of fruit and veggies and it's good we're plugging everybody today with food (laughs) I I don't know what the fun facts are today but I hope they're about food because that's all we've been talking about so So, far actually for once they're not about food woo yeah (laughs) Guess what? They're about reading. Reading? Yeah. Tell me more. Reading. I actually like to read. I like. To I know you might be all surprised by that, but <laughs> I like books. Well, I like to read as well, and I've been thinking about getting a, an e-reader or a Kindle of sorts, and I've been shopping around and looking for the right thing. And, man, there are so many things out there on the market if you want to get into e-reading or Audible or anything like that. So you can read on your Kindle. You can read on your phone. You can read on the iPad. You can... Listen to people reading. And not only that, if you jump on YouTube, you're going to get all sorts of ads about how you can turn that into a business. Yeah. So I don't know if that's legit or not, but um, I've been hearing lots about ebooks lately. Yeah, lots of, yeah, definitely. You know that, you know that palmy lady I'm talking about who's doing the ads for Amazon? Anyway. I do, yes. <laughs> She's everywhere. <laughs> but there's also your traditional book, which I, I still love. Yeah. Yeah, I love to my pages. Preference. I just finished reading an, a traditional book. A traditional <laughs> book. book. Last night, before I went to sleep. It was yeah. great. It was a book about the life of Paul. Oh, yeah, it was good. Very good. Okay. <laughs> but it got me thinking, okay, how many words do I actually read, though? Like, per minute. Am I, am I a fast reader? Am I a slow reader? Is it, you know, is it worth... Don't shame me. No, no, no. Please don't shame me, Tash. Well, only because they say, because when you have an e-reader, you can carry around with you a thousand books. And I'm just thinking, do I really want to carry a thousand books with me everywhere I go? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Am I going to read that many in my whole summer? So I got me thinking, okay. Or how- in my whole life. Or in my whole life. <laughs> That's very true. There's 66 I highly recommend reading. Yeah, I highly yeah. recommend those yeah. 66 as well. 39 in the Old Testament and yeah. 27 in the New. And usually when you buy it, it comes in one. So That's it's 66 nice. in one. <laughs> so go ahead. Okay, how many words can you read? Or Usually if you read out loud, it's going to take you longer. That makes sense. If you read in your head... Uh, it's faster. So they have this thing as well called vocalization. So when you learn when you learned how to read, you would when you mouth the words while you're when reading. When you would it? mouth the words and then you would point you to would the words. You would go slower, yeah. You would go much slower. So some of that still exists like when you read in your head. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So actually they say that if you want to read faster, you need to get rid of that vocalization out of cuz that's slowing you down so that you can just read what's on the page. But I've tried and I'm still trying to work out how that happens. And so there's people who are speed readers as well who say they could just skim through and read everything. I know somebody who does that. And he he sits down and he apparently is reading like hundreds of pages 
per hour. Yeah, it just makes me wonder. But then they say that they don't actually read every single word. Mm-mm. They just read some of the words and then it's like their eyes capture the rest of the, the sentence or something. I don't I don't know. I'm I'm still doing the vocalization part. But an average At least you're not alone. Thank you. <laughs> and for anyone else that's listening out there, speed reading alone. doesn't look speed reading doesn't work so great when you're it, writing essays and you've got to quote things from the right page. Yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> and and another thing too is like comprehension, like how much of it when you read do you actually like is making sense in your head if that makes sense. You know, and I suppose there's probably a there's probably a sense in which it, when you there, there are certain types of books that would lend itself to certain types of reading. So, for example, if and you can do this, by the That's way, true. even when you're reading the Bible, true. right? Yeah. So there's there's validity when you read the Bible to reading large quantities at a time because it gives you an, the overview. So if you sit down and you read through the whole Gospel of John yeah. and read it through – in a short period of time, that's going to help you get kind of like the grand scope of the picture. Yeah. But you're going to miss a lot of important details. And then as you read through the passages more slowly and methodically and stop and ask lots of questions, you'll get more. So I suppose can, there's yeah. a, there's places for different types of reading, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Even and within Bible study. Within Bible studies, if you're reading a narrative versus something like that's academic. Um, so, But an average reader should read about – this is about high school age – or also 200 to 300 words per minute. Yeah, that yeah. sounds awesome. That sounds pretty good. And if I have no idea if I should be feeling like embarrassed or proud no, 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 no. or anything in between. I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I think one thing that's really important to, to recognize is that if you live in, in a Western country right now and you have access to 12 years plus of education, you probably are in the highest echelons in terms of literacy for, for much of the world. And the reality is that for most of human history, most people were illiterate. Yeah. And they still got on okay. So That's we're true. very privileged we to are be able very, to have access to that information, yeah, the ability to read. For sure. And only in the last fifth, uh, up to 15, so 1455 is when the Gutenberg Berg Press started making Bibles. And only then did everybody have like the ability to read anyway. So we've had a big oral tradition. And now, yeah, everyone, especially in the Western world, we all have the ability to read. But... After all this, what matters the most is that you're actually reading. Like, yeah. op- whatever it is, be it your Kindle, be it your Audible, be it your traditional book, open the book, read the first word. If you can't get through the whole page, just do sentence by sentence at a time. And that's, that's where you go. So yeah, enjoy reading. I like the Christian life. My buddies tell me. I should have waited They say I'm missing A whole world of fun But I am happy And I sing with pride I like the Christian find pleasure in things I despise. I like the Christian life. My buddy shunned me since I 
listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and it has come that time of our show where we hear from real people mm. testifying about how God is working in their real present-day lives. So we've got our friend Aisha. Did I say it right? Yeah. Yes. So so Shell, Shell was mentioning it, and I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to butcher this name. I've totally... So, <laughs> so can you just give me a little bit of a correction here, because I'm American, and I pronounce everybody's names wrong in Australia, I've discovered. So, so tell us your name um, so that we can learn how to pronounce it properly so we're not offensive. Yes, it's Aisha, so you said it correctly. Aisha. Beautiful. What a lovely name. Well, we're excited to have you on air today, and uh, before we get into your story, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yes, yeah, so um, my name is Aisha, as I said before. Um, I'm 18. I just graduated school last year. You! Um, and I'm currently Bible working at um, Raymond Terrace Mission, Mission Church at the moment. So, yes, yeah, Awesome. Good. And for those of our listeners who may not have heard of what a Bible worker is before, what is that, what's kind of like a typical week look, for, look like for you? What does it involve? Yeah, so um, basically just a Bible worker is um, you're just setting – time aside um, out of your normal routine and um, you're just volunteering um, at church, helping out I'm in church, going out in the community and um, it's a bit different where I am so I actually work at a a juice bar and an op shop and that's how we witness to people so um, we have like conversations with people or ask if we want to do Bible studies with them and yeah, that's pretty much what I do on a day-to-day basis. That's fantastic, I love it. I also am a Bible worker, but of a different variety. So, super cool, man. Well, we're excited to have you here on the show, Aisha. And, um, yeah, let us know your story. We'd love to hear how God's been working in your life. Yeah. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I'll just share a little bit about my story or testimony, I guess. Um, so, all my life, I was brought up a Christian um, by my mom mainly. Um, but the older I got, I, I didn't really own my faith. For myself, and I kind of um, drew further and further from Jesus. And as I was finishing school, I knew I wanted to do something about where I was, and I wanted to know more about Jesus and change from where I was. And I just wanted to be better. I just wanted to do more and be a good Christian. And uh, I'd heard about a program called Arise all throughout my high schooling. And basically, for those of you who don't know what it is. It's this three-month intensive course where you study the Bible with a bunch of other people. Um, they're doing it with you as well, and you learn how to go out in the community and ask people for Bible studies and ultimately just draw closer to Jesus and 
yeah, just have more of a personal relationship with him. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, so I'd heard many, many testimonies from this experience and how it changed people's lives. And so I really wanted to do it and I looked more um, into it. And the school that I was going at, um, Tweed Valley Adventist College, they had offered a scholarship for this as well. And after I graduated school, I applied for my ride applied for it and I got accepted and soon after it got cancelled due to problems because um, of COVID unfortunately and because it was cancelled I decided to just go straight into studying and I'd applied to do this course with a friend of mine and everything was pretty much set and planned and then I received news that my local church wanted to do like a similar course to Arise because they knew that a lot of the people from the school really wanted to do it um, alongside myself. Um, and we're really pushing for them to do something as well. And at first, I thought I wasn't going to do it. And I was a little bit um, hesitant as I'd made plans already. And But then finally, I was praying about it and people were calling me that were convincing me to do it. And yeah, I was praying about it a lot. And then um, my friend said that she would ditch the course to do it. So I finally made the decision that I was going um, I was going to do it and I was going to cancel my course if this program, if this Alternative Arise program um, went ahead. So um, when I had applied, I kind of reached a bit of an obstacle as these programs aren't very cheap because they have to provide food for you, um, two meals a day and they provide you accommodation and the lecturers come in as well and it's definitely not cheap, so mm. there is some money that needs to go into this. And the whole course fee was around three grand, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay it, and I was stressing out because half of it had to be paid before we started. And, and um, I hadn't really worked because I just graduated school, so I didn't have anything saved up, and my parents weren't really able to help out. So I was saying, I know God wants me to do this course, but I just didn't know if I could pay the money. And I was really stressing about that. And I went to church on the following Sabbath and I spoke with Pastor Boris about my concerns and my worries. And he was very relaxed and he was very chill about everything. And and he <laughs> said to me, <laughs> and he said to me, Asia, does God want you to do this course? And I said, yes, Boris. And he said, then God will provide a way for you to go. And at first I was like, how can you be so relaxed about this? This is stressful. But I really admired the faith that he had. And um, I didn't have that kind of faith that God would provide for me. And I was stressed out and worried. And I was praying for a way out. And I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of the saying. Um, there's a saying and it goes, where God guides, he provides. And that's exactly what God did for me. A group of people from the school that I had gone to, Tweed Valley Adventist College, they, um, anonymous group of people, they had paid for me to go. Um, they paid for half of it. And that was a really big miracle for me. And God wanted me to do that course, and he provided a way for me to go, which was really awesome. Everything worked out, and I was able to go. And that's only because God made it possible for me. And all I, ha- all I had to do was trust in him, and it was really, it was really a, um, a transformation experience. 
experience for me. And um, after that program, I got baptized this year, actually. So I'm very new to it all. And Ew, praise I the Lord. To, <laughs> I just wanted to quickly share a verse to just finish off. And it says Proverbs, in chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. So that's exactly what God wanted for me. He wanted me to go to this course, and really, it changed my life. And, um, yeah, all I had to do was trust in him. He wanted me to do that, and he would provide a way, and that's really all I had to do. So, yeah, I hope that um, anyone, if you're struggling, or I hope that this was a blessing to you, or you can relate somehow. (laughs) But, yeah, happy to share. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. God does provide, and I love that when we follow His leading, He is trustworthy to take us and give us all the provision that is necessary to get us through. Thank you so much. May God bless you. I heard the story of Jesus Sounded like music in my ear Beautiful story of Jesus Dispelled my doubts and all my fears How marvelous is His love Brought to me from above Oh, it's not just a story This world is longing to know Wonderful story of Jesus I'll take it wherever I go Tell of His love For this world To save every man Woman, boy, and girl Oh, it's not just a story Are you someone who struggles with the painful dilemma of finding a one-stop shop where you can buy both shoes and a smoothie, a juice and a jacket, a plant-based pie and pajamas? Stop losing sleep over these troubling questions and find answers at New Start Juice and the RTM Op Shop where all your needs for clothing and healthy food can be found. My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood 
Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Come on. Are you washed in the What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is power, power, unworking power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonderworking power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh, precious is the Said nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb? He sought me and bought me with nothing but the blood of Jesus. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and we're excited to be with you today. We're about to get into our Bible study, but before we do that, we want to do a little bit of plugging. And I know I use that word all the time, like shameless plug, but I really do like shameless plugs. There's no shame in them, and you plug things. I think it's great. They're good. It's fantastic. You ever think about that, by the way? Total side note. But like so often we use these figures of speech, and we don't think about them, but there's a lot of things we say that sound pretty weird. Shameless plug. What are you doing? I'm plugging something. I'm I'm connecting it in. Isn't that strange? Anyway, yeah. total side note, but we're excited to have you back. And also, today we are going to have a giveaway. At some point, we're going to give out the code word during our Bible study and the first two callers today. So make sure that you're on your phone dial when you hear that code word at some point. It's going to come unannounced. And then it's going to be announced. That's <laughs> true. We have to remember to announce it as well. And so today, the first two callers in today, when you hear that code word, are going to receive this. A book called At Jesus' Feet. Now, this is the gospel according to Mary Magdalene. Boom. Oh, that's amazing. And not only that, this is a sharing edition. So it's not only for you, but it's um, it will enable you to help share the gospel um, with not only your family, but your friends. But the So you author, could use this to give to somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Yeah. Awesome. And because it looks at it from the perspective of Mary Magdalene, it's it, it shows it from the point of sin, of addiction, and just some of the real struggles that Mary Magdalene had and that a lot of us have. And so it's so relatable. And, yeah, what a great book. I love it. 
So when you hear the code word, if you are one of the first two callers, you can get your hands on a free copy of that, and you won't want to miss it. So you can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. But also remember, you can text or, or call in with your questions about God, the Bible, spirituality, Christianity, whatever you'd like to ask. We would love to be able to engage with you on those questions at the end of the show at our Question of the Week portion of the show. And uh, you can call or text in at any time in the show with those by texting the same number, 0491-064-669. All right, so we're going to jump into John chapter 8 today. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, if you're following along in a uh, uh, a traditional Bible, right? Like a paper Bible, <laughs> a paper or whether Bible. you're doing it on an e-Bible, yeah. as uh, just a little plug there from our, our earlier little reference. And uh, we're going to start with a word of prayer. Would you like to pray for us today, Tash? Let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you now and we ask for your blessing upon this Bible study, but let your word, uh, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and through us this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is the start of the story. So we're in John chapter, well, actually, we're in John chapter 7, verse 53. Which is the last. So the very last verse of chapter 7 and then into chapter 8. And the story that we're looking at is a very, very well-known story among many, but it may be the first time you're hearing it, but it is a powerful, powerful story, and it paints a beautiful picture of Jesus. So we're going to start there in John chapter 7, verse 53. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Boom. What an incredibly powerful, power-packed little story. Okay, so just to recap that, just a little bit of a summary. So yep. here's Jesus. He's just been, uh, depending on which scholar you believe, it's most likely from what we read in the commentaries, you would suggest that this would be the eighth day of the feast, right? So the day after the Feast of Tabernacles has has completed, now they've got the eighth day, which is a day of big celebration. And on this day, most likely is the day that this is taking place. And here Jesus comes back into where? Into the temple, right? Yep. And so here is Jesus back in the temple. He's just previously, the day before, said that he was the one who would give them living water, all of this stuff. He's kind of like had this hectic discussion with these people, and here he is. He comes back in. And remember that there were there were the chief priests and the Pharisees who were not happy with what Jesus was doing. And so he comes into the temple, and he's there. He's teaching, and all of a sudden there's this hectic this this chaos that ensues and here come 
these chief priests, these leaders, and they're dragging a woman in, and they make a claim about her. They say this woman was caught in adultery. Now, what's adultery? It's when you're with someone else's husband or you're, yeah. You're, yeah, it's, it's yeah, sexual some, infidelity, sexual right? Infidelity. So yeah. somebody is has been engaging with some sort of sexual behavior outside of their, their own marriage context, right, with someone else who's in another marriage context particularly mm-hmm. is the implication here, right? So here's somebody who's been who's been – uh, in that case, now it says not just caught in adultery, but in the very act. So while it was going on, yeah. now this is this paints quite a risque picture, and it's very possible that a person who was caught in the act would not have had a lot of time to get quite prepared to come into public if they were being dragged in. Now this begs lots of questions, by the way, and we'll get those in a second. But anyway, they drag this woman in. There's no man on the scene who's. I mean, it takes two people to. At least two people to commit adultery, and um, they're brought in. And this 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 question comes up in the law, in the Torah. Moses said such women should be stoned. What do you say? And then Jesus responds with no words. He just bends down and starts writing in the sand. Then they engage again. He writes in the sand again, and then he says these words. And he says, "He who among you." is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then slowly everybody starts to wander away. And then he has this conversation with the woman saying, where are all the people who condemned you? And she's like, ah, there's nobody. He says, neither do I, so go and sin no more. What a story, right? Yeah. Okay, now we need to start breaking some stuff down. Mm. First of all, some questions that come to my mind. First of all, if you're a chief priest and a scribe or a Pharisee, how in the world did you catch somebody in the act of adultery? Right? This is sounding a little fishy already, isn't it? Yeah, it does. Right? Here's these people who have been trying to set Jesus up. There's, by implication in the story, it sounds like it's possible that some of these men might have been involved in a setup to try and bring this circumstance about. It's, It's not explicit in the test, but reading in between the lines, it seems like that is very plausible. Now, I want to highlight something to you. First of all, here's another question. Were they right in saying that in the Torah, Moses had commanded that a woman who was caught in the act of adultery should be stoned and put to death. No, that's not true. Oh! So if you look at Leviticus 20, verse 10, are you there? I am there, actually. Oh, you're already there. Even uh, even Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, but we'll read Leviticus 20, 10. Okay, so um, you'll be interested. I'm very interested in how you said your answer. So we're going to see what we're talking about here. So Leviticus 20, verse 10 reads... 20 verse 10? I'm in 21 verse 10. I was like, this is about the high priest. That's the wrong verse. (laughs) Sorry. 20 verse 10. No, I had the wrong verse. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Yeah. So that's... So so in in actual fact, yes. 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 It does command that the woman who was caught in adultery should be put to death. That was the penalty. However, not her alone. Yeah. And this is key. This is key right here. Now, now you've got a second verse that you're looking up, right? You want uh, to read? Just very quickly. I, it, it just expounds on what you just said. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman so shall put away the evil from Israel. So again, it's saying the same thing. Now, where was that found just for our so listeners? So that's Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. Okay. A lot of twos. Now, now, just before we go any further, first of all, in our culture, in our modern Western culture, we have a very, a very different view of human sexuality 
than has been traditionally held by our own culture and by all almost all cultures historically. You know, the 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 free sex movement that happened in the 60s and 70s has changed the face of western morality regarding this and it has rapidly gone downhill. But I want to ask a question. Why do you think that the Bible has such what we might call strict standards regarding sexual practices? It has a very high calling for sexual ethics in Scripture. Now, before we get into any any more of what's going on in the story, I just think it's really important to ask this question. Mm. Because to a modern Western reader, this is like, whoa, 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 what the heck? Somebody, you just, just divorce them and move on and get yourself a new one, right? Yeah. But I want to challenge this because this biblical perspective, I'm not saying that we should necessarily enact that in our courts and, and do that the same way today. But I do want to highlight that what the Bible is, is, is demonstrating here is that there are severe consequences because it has severe consequences in its essence anyway, right? As soon as you start to break down the family unit, and that's exactly what adultery does, the reality is you break down the very fabric of human society. The home is the place where you, you, you this is scientifically demonstrated through studies, your picture of God comes first and foremost from those parental attachments. So as soon as you start ripping those things apart, you damage a person's spiritual access to understanding about God from the very first. You also have higher incidences in split homes, and particularly in fatherless homes, of incredible amounts of difficulties. The statistics for teen suicides, the statistics for incarceration, the statistics for mental health and eating disorders, difficulty in education, all of these things go up hugely, exponentially, in fatherless homes. Now, this is not to say to somebody if you, you know, if you've gone through a marital breakdown or if you've not been in a situation where you're in a, a two-parent home that you that you are doomed to these things or this and this is not to judge you or to say that you're a bad person because these things have happened in your life. We all make mistakes. Other people make mistakes that impact us too. We live in a broken world and God is able to work with us. But it's really important to note that there's reasons that God had such strict laws around sexual ethics. And it's because when we have that family unit held together, society is better as a whole. And when we have those things broken down, look around at the world around you. Look at how devastated the world is as our sexual ethics as a culture become more and more variegated or different from God's design. The further we reach away from that, the further the the negative consequences go. Mental health, crime, all of these things are on the rampage, and so much of it is linked to these very questions. This is Hillary Scott and the Scott family. Love remains. We are born one fine day, children of smiles and daddy cries a miracle before they rise they protect us till we're of age through it all love remains a boy moves on 
I don't know Baby what I do are listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. And before we get back into uh, our our story, our study of John eight, just want to do another plug here. We're going to hear a, you're going to hear a code word at some point during the show, and the first two callers in who give us that code word are going to receive a free copy of this book called At Jesus Feet, which explores what the, it's it's like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. So it explores uh, the perspective of. Of Jesus' story, but from the eyes of Mary Magdalene. Awesome. Yeah. So, and it doesn't say her name explicitly in this story, but many have suggested over the years that that she is the woman that's pictured here in this story. Yeah. So you'll want to get your hands on that, and also you can send us at any point during the show your questions. Could be about this Bible study, any other questions you have on Scripture or God or anything else that we would love to hear from you. And you can do both of those things by calling or texting zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. That's 0491 We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Okay, so so first of all, as we've talked about, I want you to notice that, that the, the severity of what's going on is what was required in Torah, but that the people who were bringing this woman were not actually following the very laws that they were coming to use to get the action done. Because if they were genuinely concerned about keeping the law of Moses, right? The laws of that God had given to Moses in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which was included there. And by the way, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, or you shall not commit adultery, is the seventh commandment. Um, I think it's Exodus 20, verse 17 or something, is around there. And God wrote that with his own finger, by the way, right? Like So that is that is God's command. So what what's going on here is is significant. But the problem is, these guys who are the teachers of that very law, who are acting as judges over the civil system, these ones are abusing that law, not because they want justice on the woman and the man for committing adultery, because where is the man? Where's the man? He's not there. Yep. If you caught them in the act, that by definition means they were both present. So how come you got her and not him? Mm. Where's he? And they are both supposed to, according to the law, face trial together. And by the way, when that happens, guess what? The the first the you know the you wouldn't in the in this system. And I'm just trying to remember where the passage is, but it's escaping me. In the law of Moses, it says. It will be at the testimony of two to three witnesses that judgment will be given, right? So you need to have witnesses. And in fact, it also says that these 
witnesses will be the first people to throw the stones. Meaning, if you're going to come and bear witness in court that someone has done something, you have to be the person who's willing to go up and participate in giving out the punishment. Right? This is a check and balance to make sure that things are legitimate. And it can't be just one person's testimony. It has to be multiple te- eyewitness testimony, right? So that, so that the court of law can operate justly. So this is all in the background. Now, these men are doing something wrong, and they're not obeying the very law of Moses that they're claiming because their purpose is not to bring about justice. Their purpose is to bring about disrepute on Jesus because Jesus is in a bind, by the way, if you didn't know this. What happens if Jesus says, yes, stone her? What's the problem? Any ideas? Well, he, he's not fulfilling Torah because he's not fulfilling the other part. Well, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah. And also, another thing that's on top of that, they've been, because they're under occupation by Rome, it is illegal for them to execute the death penalty. Remember when Jesus goes to the cross, they can't do it themselves. They can't kill him. They can't put him to death by stoning, which was the uh, you know what they wanted to do. So they had to go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and get him to execute judgment because under Roman rule, they could not give out the death penalty under their own civil law. Now, so, so if Jesus says this, they have an accusation against him, and they can turn him over to the Romans, and he can lose his life, right? So if he does that, Right, he's condemned if he does, and he's condemned if he, if he doesn't. doesn't do it, yeah. Now, if he says no, if, if he says no, 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 don't stone the woman, then they're going to turn around and tell the people, "See, he is not of God. He's not a prophet of God. He's a false teacher because he doesn't follow the laws of Moses." And so they've they've basically set up a situation in which they can try and accuse Jesus and get him dead. That's the point, yeah. or lose his credibility, and that's the purpose of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the midst of all this, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is this is like this is like a soap opera that's so intense, right? There's so much drama going on in this scene. It's incredible how Jesus responds. Because what does Jesus do? Does he does he answer their question? No, he bends down in the sand and writes. That's right. Yeah. Now it's interesting. When you write in sand, is it permanent? No, it's not permanent. Now he does this twice. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us what he wrote. Mm-hmm. Now, we might be able to talk about what, what it could be. We could talk about what people have written about it to be. But in terms of the Bible, it doesn't yeah, actually it doesn't tell us. us. Yeah. And so rather than jumping ahead, I'm just going to leave it there. But I want to ask this. I, I want to compare something. Something struck me the other day as I was reading this. It's very interesting to me that the commands, the Ten Commandments were written by whose finger in stone? By God's finger in by stone. By God's yeah. finger in stone. Who is Jesus. He is God in person. He's God in flesh. Yeah. And, and Jesus had written those commands in the stone, right? Like this is the picture that's presented and given that twice, by the way, right? It was rewritten by God on the stone with his own finger and given to Moses a second time after Moses broke the tablets. But here, whatever Jesus is writing is not permanent. And there's a really interesting interplay between God's command that was given that was permanent and this judgment or whatever's being written in the sand, whatever these things are, that these things are not yet permanent, right? They're in the sand. And I love what's going on here because whatever it is that Jesus wrote, it says that there, the older ones started to leave. When they, when they saw what Jesus was writing, right, when they heard all of this going on, slowly, one by one, these older people started to leave. And it just begs the question, was Jesus perhaps writing sins that they were guilty of? Because when Jesus says, says these things, he says, 
let he who is among you, sorry, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, who in the whole crowd was not guilty of sin? Nobody. Just Jesus. Yeah, just Jesus, yeah. Right? And where's the eyewitness who's going to be the first person to throw a stone? He says, look, none of you are fit or equipped to judge because you are all guilty of sin. And yet Jesus is the only one in the crowd who is fit to judge sin because he is not guilty of it. He is the one who wrote the law of God on the stone. He is also the one who is going to judge because he has lived human life without giving in to those temptations that all of us have failed in. And when all of them who are not fit to judge her eternal destiny leave, then he approaches her, the only one who is fit to be the judge of her eternal destiny. And he comes to her, and I imagine that she's there looking at the ground. Now, by the way, not everybody left, just the accusers. Because who else was there to write down the story, right? So they're in the, the middle of the yeah, crowd. There are other people, yep. But these people who have brought forward the accusation, they've walked away with their tail between their legs, realizing they've done wrong. And they've done wrong in the way that they've done this very thing because they didn't bring the man. And so when Jesus is saying this, the implication is you've been guilty of sin by not following the law and how you're doing this. God hates dishonest scales. God hates injustice. And so the implication here is that you are guilty in what you're doing right now. Powerful stuff, man. And then he says this to the woman, and it just says she looks up at him, right? And he says, woman, which is a, a sign of respect. It's not a, it's in, in our Western culture, when we say woman, we, you know, this is often used as a, a derogatory statement, but he's using this as a, this is a positive. He, he calls his mother by the same he term, right? Same it's word, a yeah. term of respect. We've gone through this. Woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord, no one, master. And he says this, the most powerful words in the story. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. And I love this. Jesus extends the hand of mercy. But notice that when he extends the hand of mercy, he's not just saying, go and go back to what you were doing. Go go hook up with that dude again. Go back to a life of, of adultery. He says, no, 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 no. He says, go. I've extended you mercy. Now go and by my grace, live a different life. And I love this because this is the way that salvation works. God forgives, God cleanses, and then God empowers by his grace through constant connection to see a transformation in our life going forward. God is not in the business of just doing away with the significance of our actions, right? He says, I forgive. It cost him his own life. It cost his blood shed for us to cover that sin. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, just keep going about and doing it again and again and again. No, no, no. He says, you're free. You don't have to live that life anymore. Go, and from now on, watch your life be different. Sin no more by the grace of God. And I just love that. Isn't that powerful? Powerful. So powerful. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. The things that we have done, all of our sins can be written in sand and wiped away by the powerful blood of Jesus. me down and dragged me out and left me there for dead it took all the freedom i wanted gave me something else instead blew my mind it bled me dry and hit me like a long goodbye nobody here knows better than i that it's a good thing love is a good thing it'll fall like rain on your parade laugh at the plans that you try to make wear you down till your heart just breaks and it's a good thing 
Love is a good thing It'll wake you up in the middle of the night It'll take just a little too much It'll burn you like a cinder Till you're tender to the touch It'll chase you down and swallow you whole It'll make your blood run hot and cold Like a thief in the night It'll steal your soul And that's a good thing Love is a good thing It'll follow you down to the ruins of the great divide Open the wounds that you tried to hide There in the rubble of the heart that died You'll find a good thing Cause love is a good thing So real faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM. Welcome back. That was a beautiful song by Andrew Peterson called "Love Is a Good Thing." And um, before we get back into our Bible study, we just want to do another shameless plug because the code word is coming soon. Ooh. And um, the first two callers today, when we say that code word, are going to receive a free copy of a book called "At Jesus' Feet," which looks at the story of Jesus through whose eyes? Through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. And so, oh, the. The author, Doug Batchelor, he what he does is he unveils the beauty of the gospel within these original insights. And you know what? Mary Magdalene was actually one of the most dedicated disciples. She wasn't named a disciple, but she was there the whole time. Yeah, she may not have been one of the 12, but the, the 12 disciples, quote-unquote, that we talk yeah, about were sure. not Jesus' only disciples by any means. Yeah. It says that Jesus went among his disciples and called out 12 of them and also appointed them apostles, right? And after the death of Jesus, it says that there were 120 disciples— that were gathered together, right? So there was a fair few. And Jesus, uh, sorry, not Jesus, uh, Mary Magdalene was in that list she in was, Acts, and she, she was, was still there. there, faithful. She was there. So it's a powerful, powerful story of God's redemption. And, um, yeah, so you can call or text in when you hear that code word, or when you have questions that you'd like to send us, you can call or text those in at any time that we can look at in our uh, question of the week portion at the end of the show. And you can do that by calling or texting 491 Zero six four double six nine. That number again is zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. And the code word is forgiven. Forgiven. Oh, boom! There it was. 
That was the code word. I hope you didn't miss it. Oh. But if you did, I'll forgive you because the code word is <laughs> forgiven. 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 So call or text forgiven to 0491-064-669, and you can get your hands. The first two callers today are going to get a free copy of that book at Jesus' feet. 0491-064-669. Okay, so Jesus has this interaction. What an incredible interaction. Right, so powerful, and I love this. We were talking about this in the in the during the song. Just this idea that God's words written on stone, God's commands, God's law of love, it's not wiped away; it's in stone. But yet, whatever it was that Jesus wrote, and perhaps it was the sins of the people, that can still be forgiven and wiped away. This woman's sins were wiped away that day, and it's just powerful. God's law upholds and is, stands true. But that doesn't mean that our mistakes and our failures to uphold and keep that cannot be forgiven. So by the blood of Jesus, she walked away forgiven. I love it. All right, we're continuing in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Awesome. Let's pause there because this is a, this whole the rest of this chapter is wordy. Okay, so Jesus starts speaking, and what's the first thing that he says? I am the light of the world. I love this. Now, just as a side note, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they had four huge pillars that had bowls on top of them that were filled with olive oil and were ignited. And it's described such that it was so bright, it might have looked similar to daylight inside the temple because of these giant flaming torches. And so you have to remember that this is what these these people in Jerusalem have been exposed to visually seeing all week. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am am the light of the world. You've seen these four lights that keep Jerusalem lit at night, but he says, I, Jesus Christ, am the light of the whole world, the one who brings light into a dark place. And he says, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. And that's a huge, bold assertion. And so the the leaders are like, whoa, uh, you're bearing witness about yourself. In other words, you're the only witness, one, one witness is not enough, enough. Mm. To, to, to count in a court of law in the Jewish system. And so they're saying, interestingly enough, when we've just been talking about how <laughs> in the previous story, where were the eyewitnesses coming forward willing to make that assertion? But Jesus is now being confronted by the same question of how many witnesses? Who's, who's here to back you up? Your witness isn't true because it's only one. And that's, again, based on that same principle in the Mosaic Law. And so he says, yeah, 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 but I know the truth, and I know where I come from, and that doesn't make my my eyewitness untrue or invalid. And then he goes on and he talks about how you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. He says, you judge according to the flesh. And then he says some very, something very strange. He says, I judge no one. Now, at surface level, it sounds like Jesus is never involved in any judgment. But as we read through the rest of this chapter, it shows up four times total in here, and each time it's a different statement. So in, in order to understand what that means, we have to read a little bit further. All right. And he says, but if I judge, my judgment's true. And why? 
because it's not me alone, but the Father also who judges. And so what's he saying there? The point is there are two witnesses, God the Father and God the Son, who are involved and engaged in what's going on in judgment. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 17. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither my neither me, neither my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Okay, so what's going on here? So again, he's in, because he's, he knows, Jesus knows that it takes, he needs two witnesses at the very least. And again, he's saying to them, but I know that there's there's someone that bears witness about me because I am he, I'm coming on behalf of the Father. So the Father also bears witness for him. I love this. Yeah. And this principle comes up over and over again where he talks about, hey, the works that I'm doing testify. Hey, John the Baptist testimony testified of me, even though I don't validate that just because it's man's testimony, right? And then he goes on and he says, the works that I do. He says, the Father testified of me. Right, but you don't hear his voice. All of this stuff that's going on. In other words, what he's saying is, in the Mosa- according to the Torah, the Mosaic Law, uh, my testimony is valid because there are multiple witnesses who are testifying to what I am saying and verifying that it is true. Yeah, but also what they were trying to do was they're trying to catch him out because them asking where is your father? Because they knew they knew that his father was actually Joseph and his mother was Mary. And if they had known that he that Joseph was his father, they also knew that there was some there was like a, there was an immaculate conception. So there was there was some not no issues, but some like drama question marks. Question marks. Question marks. And so that's why they're saying, "Oh yeah, okay, where's your father?" So yeah, they're they're really trying to set Jesus up and or catch him out. I guess I think is the is a better word. Awesome. So let's keep reading in verse twenty one. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I love this, right? So Jesus goes through and he says so many things. And there are many people who are believing in his words. They're believing in what he is saying. Now he goes through and says a couple of key things. Notice, first of all, when we talked about the first statement about judgment, he says, I judge no one. And then in verse 16 he says, if I do judge... I'm not judging alone, right? Because, or, sorry, my judgment is true because it's not me alone who's judging, but but me and the Father, right? So he says I'm in, I'm judging in conjunction with the Father, and then in verse 25 or 26 it said, 
It said that I have much to say about you and I have much to judge. And the implication is Jesus had not yet come to make judgment in terms of final judgment because the final judgment is still yet to come, right? At this point in the first century, judgment has not yet commenced. And I love that he's saying some implications here because the implication is what Paul says later in Romans 8, which is that Jesus Christ who died for you and for me is the one who will be the ultimate judge. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. And uh, just in case you missed your opportunity, we have one more copy Mm. of that free giveaway book, which is called At Jesus' Feet, which follows the life of Jesus and understanding the good news of Jesus from the perspective of the experience of Mary Magdalene, who very possibly was the woman from this story. And uh, I just want to encourage you that you can text or call in with the code word, which was... Forgiven. Forgiven, just like this woman was, to 0491-064-669. And the first person who calls in is going to get that second copy. And, uh, yeah, please send in your questions. Mm. I don't think we have any questions yet, so please send in your questions. We'd We'd love love, to hear from you. Um, Could be anything. Um, Practical Christianity, a question that you have about the Bible or theology or about Jesus or... Who knows? We'd just love to hear from you and be able to engage with you. And again, you can call or text in at any time during the show with those questions to 0491-064-669. So Jesus is there laying the implications down that he will be the judge of everyone's eternal destiny, right? He will be the one who judges. And yet, it's not present tense, right? So I judge no one, present tense. He says, but if I do judge, right? It's not me alone, it's me and the Father. And then he goes on to say, I have much to judge. And there's one more passage, and it comes in at verse 50. So we may not get there today. We'll see how we go with time. But he talks about the Father being the judge here. But then later, it talks about how the Father, in Romans 8, says how the Father has given all judgment over to the Son. 
and indicates that Jesus, who is our defense lawyer, so to speak, our advocate, the one who's shed his blood for your life and for mine, is also the one who will judge. And so talk about somebody who's going to do everything possible to save us. You know what I mean? And I love that picture. But he also said a couple of other things interesting in that passage just before we keep reading. We talked about in the Greek how there's a, a word, and you, the, the word, don't worry if you can't remember this, it's ego, which means I, me, which means am. And so in the Greek, twice in this passage, in verse 24 and in verse 28, Jesus had said, not I am he in the English. They write it that way because English doesn't, doesn't work this way. Yeah. But it's one of the seven occurrences in the book of John where Jesus is claiming divinity definitively. He's saying, I am the name that Yahweh revealed of himself to Moses in the burning bush, the one who always is, who is present in the past, in the present, in the future, the one who is beyond time. And Jesus is making that claim. He says, I told you, you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And later in verse 28, he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, in other words, when you have crucified me, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. Some powerful, powerful words. Some very powerful words. And I just wanted to add as well, like we have to keep remembering that when we read the Gospel of John, he likes to compare things. So there's light and darkness, um, things that are eternal, things that are temporary. And then here again, we see things from below, things from above, things of this world, things not of this world. And so there's no middle ground for John. And what he's trying to... There's no middle ground. What Jesus is trying to say is there is there is me or there's the way that's not me. There's God or there's not God. There's life or there's, there's death. There's life or there's death. Salvation or being lost. Salvation yeah. or destruction, I should say. Yeah. Salvation or you're destruction. You're either in or you're out. There's no there's no halfway ground. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of confronting, isn't it? Is it is confronting. Um, Which I think is perhaps one of the reasons that Scripture says search your own hearts. Mm. Right? Come to Jesus and trust him fully because... I want to be all in, yeah. right? Because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. No matter what your past has been, bring it to Jesus. He is able to save. Mm. And I love that. It's beautiful. But bring it all. Yeah, bring it you all. You can't just compartmentalize. Say, here, you can have you can true. have my arm, but the rest of me is mine. Yeah. Just bring it all. Yeah. I want to hold on to these things, Lord. But Beautiful. Yeah. All right, so we're going to continue in verse 31. And I love this next passage. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Whew, whew, I love this. There's, yeah. a, there's a famous quote, and I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. It might be Thomas Paine. This is an American history thing, and I remember it's one of my favorite quotes. And he says, give me liberty or give me death. And it's a very famous word, like passage, but it reminds me yeah. Of this passage, because, you know, this is a passage where he talks about what freedom really looks like. Not just freedom in like some sort of worldly political situation or some revolution or something like that, because ultimately you and I have to die. 
and (laughs) we're slaves of death because of sin, right? And notice what he says here, though. He says, if you abide in my word, in other words, if you dwell in, if you choose to make your home in my word, he says, you truly are my followers. He says, and if you're doing that, he says, you will know experientially, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? And then he goes on a little bit further, and he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus calls himself in John fourteen six the way, the truth, and the life, and says that no one comes to the Father but by me. And what's Jesus claiming here? He's claiming that he is the truth, right? God's word is truth, John seventeen seventeen. right? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, he says in a prayer to the Father. And I just love this idea. If you truly want to be free, you can't be living in a fantasy. You can't be living in a fairy tale world. You can't be just believing lies. No, if you want to be free, truly free, then you have to know what is real. You have to know what is true. And I love this. If you really want to understand the truth, you find it in Jesus. You find it in his word. And I love this. This is the metric, right? This is the metric to test ultimate truth. And it's it's Jesus' words. But what does Jesus say? He says that all of scripture is God-breathed, right? All of Scripture is God's Word, and I love this because this is the barometer. It's the check to know what we, whether what we believe is true or not, whether, whether the direction that we're going is in line with God's principles and character or not. We check it against His Word. The Spirit says, he, well, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would remind us of all the words that Jesus had spoken. And I just love this concept. If you want to be free, don't think that you'll find it apart from God's Word. Don't think that you'll find true freedom outside of what God has designed to be the way. You will find the truest freedom inside of God's word. You will find it in Jesus, not without him. So often people talk about Christianity as this restrictive thing. But really, man, what Jesus says here is so powerful. He says, he who practices, in other words, he who continues to do sin is a slave to sin. He says, whoever's continually doing these same things that they know are wrong over and over and over again, they become slaves to it. And I know from experience that as I have done these things in my life, and I'm not perfect, I still got things that Jesus is working out in my life, and I'm hoping that that will come soon, right? You know what I mean? And ultimately that comes when Jesus returns. But this 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 reality is that all of these things that I have practiced outside of God's design have ultimately led to addiction, to slavery, and to suffering. That's not freedom. Liberty is not license. Liberty comes in following the principle of God's design as he's outlined for you. It's powerful stuff, man. Anything to add? No, I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) He took it all. No. Sorry, I've I've been preaching on a soapbox a lot today. Apologies, everyone. No, it's just beautiful. That quote always comes to mind about freedom. Freedom is not found in doing whatever you want. Freedom is found in fulfilling the purpose of your your design, like living in God's purpose. And I I just want to attest to that because that's – I'm with you, exactly what God has done in my life. And living outside of God's way brought no freedom. It just brought slave to the things that I was a slave to. But, man, there is such freedom. And just being in God's word as well and trying to get to know his will has actually opened up more possibilities for my life than, mm. than ever before. And so, I don't know, wherever you are, man, if that's a challenge for you right now, um, just bring it to God. Just bring it to God and... And and say that maybe I don't have it all worked out. And so please give me the freedom that I know that you, you give. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it's also really cool what he finishes off with because he finishes this, this little paragraph by saying, he says, look, 
I know that you're the physical, literal descendants of Abraham, and uh, you you think that because you're the bloodline of Abraham, that means you got it all together and you're saved by virtue of your 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 pedigree. But he he calls them out and he says, "I'm telling you what I've seen from my father." He says, "But you, you're following your father." By implication, he's saying your father is not my father, and we're going to look at that a little bit more in the future. This is Kayla Hopkins. Who am I? Over time you've healed so much in me And I am living proof That although my darkest hour have come Your light could still shine through Though at times it's just enough to cast A shadow on the wall Well, I am grateful that you shine A light on me at all Who am I? That you would love me so gently Who am I? That you would recognize my name Lord, who am I? That you would speak to me so softly Conversation with a love most high Who am I? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound The same to wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found Was blind but now I see And the more I sing that sweet old song The more I understand That I do not comprehend this love That's coming from your hand Who am I That you would love me so gently Who am I That you would recognize my name Lord, who am I That you would speak to me so softly Conversation with a love most high Who am I?
I'm Chapo, and we are the hosts of The Marriage Project. We have a lot of fun on The Marriage Project where we talk about biblical wisdom for marriage, how it translates into real life, and we want to be with you building stronger marriages. So you can join us every Friday afternoon at 3.30pm right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He Jesus alone. 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. And I would have said, hey, Shell, what time is it? And we could have heard that cool, snazzy jingle. But unfortunately, well, we no, nobody sent in any questions yeah. today. So guilt trip galore. Please send us in your questions for next time so we can do that. Uh, not only because we want to uh, answer your questions, but we also really like the jingle. It's kind of one of the highlights of my week. Oh, I'm sad. Anyway, we're excited. Did we still have one more book to give away? Or did we get two callers? Oh, so well, we're going to do another shameless plug then. Okay. Even though nobody called him with a question. Mm. But we're still going to give you the opportunity because the code word was... Forgiven. And there's still one more copy of that book at Jesus' feet, looking at the gospel through the perspective of Mary Magdalene. And you can do that by calling or texting in the code word of forgiven to 491 That's 491 All right, so... I'm going to take it that you guys just really wanted to get through John chapter 8. So we're going to keep going. And now Jesus has made the statement, you're, of, you're not of my father, but you have a different father. And this, this gets very interesting. So let's continue in John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Boom! Whoa! I just had the hugest realization that maybe I've ever had on this chapter, and I'm hoping that it makes sense when I say it out loud. Okay, really? Think about this. Check this out. There's this conversation going on between Jesus and this group of people, and they say, we are saved by virtue of the fact that we are Abraham's children. That's basically what they're trying to communicate here. And he's saying, Abraham's not your father. You have a different father. And then they say, hey, we're not sons of sexual immorality. Bum, 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 bum. What's going on in the chapter just before? Yeah. There's, a, there's an issue where there is sexual immorality happening. And guess who brings the woman who's guilty of sexual immorality to trial? It's the representatives of Abraham's people. But Jesus flips it on its head, and he identifies what the crowd didn't see and says, you who are, who are supposed to be Abraham's children are abusing God's law to take advantage of this situation to try and put me to death. And so what he's saying here is it's very interesting because at the end of that story, each one of those leaders walked away not forgiven because they hadn't come and confessed and then had this, this experience with God. But the woman who had been guilty of sexual immorality, and who was guilty, she's only half the guilty party, right? But she was also involved in that. She walked away forgiven. She walked away getting it. She had a relationship that began with Jesus. She, she received an experience of God's grace. She was doing what Abraham did when Jesus, sorry, what, what, what was the words that, that God gave to Abraham? Go. 
to a land that I will show you. And he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. This woman was instructed, where are those who condemn you? Is there anybody left? She says, nobody. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And so she gets up and walks away forgiven with a clean slate and a new trajectory in life. When all of those others who considered themselves sons of Abraham walked away without a change of heart, they were not being like Abraham. And so by their actions, they demonstrated, you're not Abraham's children. Because Abraham's children are not but flesh and blood. They're of faith, people who choose to believe and to respond to God's grace. I've just had like a total mind blow moment right now. Anyway, I hope I didn't speak too fast so that didn't make any sense to anybody. But that was powerful for me. What a juxtaposition. Whew, sorry. No, all I have to say is because, and to, and to add to what you're saying, they they wow. think because they're flesh of Abraham that everything, that their actions are fine, that everything is good, but they don't realize that it's actually the spiritual Abraham, like the covenant promise is now available to anybody and everybody, not just these guys who are by blood related. That's right. Yeah, so it's it's just, it's more than just them. And it's, Wow. So not only are they not only are they liars and they're really the, the the person ruling their life is the devil, but they're just really thinking about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. And are we guilty of the same thing in our own life or in our own Christian <laughs> oh, walk for, sure. for those of us who call ourselves fathers of Jesus? Yeah. Right? Because the woman who looked the most guilty in that scenario is the one who walked away forgiven because she brought it to Jesus. Yeah. Right? Whereas those who looked good in the situation, they walked away not forgiven because they didn't come to Jesus. Yeah. Powerful stuff, man. All right, let's keep reading because I think we actually will get through the chapter today. Mind blown. (laughs) We're in verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus. What a cra- I know, like, it's like, like it's like it's like politics, right? When you run out of legitimate arguments, you just turn around and try and attack character. Oh, for sure. Without evidence. Yeah. Uh, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yeah, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Whoa! Whoa! What a powerful passage. And I know that there was a lot going on there. But just in brief, Mm. I want to highlight how he finishes the whole thing. He identifies... That they're saying, ah, you're crazy, you're demon-possessed, you're off your, you're, you're off your face, you don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus just responds and says, look, you don't know God. I do, but you refuse to listen to me. And he says, if I, if I were to tell you what you want to hear, that I don't know God, I'd be a liar just like you. 
Those are strong, powerful words. And how does he finish? He's like, Abraham rejoiced. If you're sons of Abraham, you would rejoice that I am here because he rejoiced when he looked forward prophetically and saw this day arriving when Jesus would come. And they're like, you're, you're not even 50. Are you out of your mind? How do you know Abraham? And Jesus makes the hugest claim. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I am the all-existent one who existed before Abraham.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Dash, and this is Faith FM Radio. And my friends, it has come to the end of the show, the time where we try and make some real-life applications from what we have read. And I know sometimes that seems easier than other times to make a real practical application, but I just am so convicted that when we read the Bible, it's not just about head knowledge. It's about this becoming a part of us. And I think that's something that's come out in this passage. Jesus talks about abiding in his words. So we're going to talk about that. So what can we practically learn from this and apply in our real life? What do you have for us, Tash? Well, the word judgment keeps coming up in everything that we said today. But I want to start with the first story that we looked at with um, the woman caught in adultery. And what I want to point out here is, I don't think we really talked about it a lot, but that... Um, like we always think of God judging as something that's bad or something that's, you know, like uh, there's some sort of punishment that happens. Um, but when it comes to judgment, when it comes to God's judgment, He always like in not the word investigates, but has a look and reviews, and He doesn't just see the woman, and He sees He also sees the accusers as well. So He He like. Jesus didn't say anything, and that's why there's a lot of conjecture about what he's writing in the sand. But what we can see, though, is that Jesus doesn't judge her straight off the bat. Like, he, he could have. Like, Jesus doesn't condemn her. Yeah, he right? doesn't he condemn doesn't her. He doesn't come in and go, boom. Yeah. This is the judgment. This is the outcome. This is the judgment. This is the outcome. And I think we that's something we have to take into everyday life. Like, we don't know the full story of what's happening in someone's life. So... Don't pass judgment straight away. Like, get to know what's, find out what's happening, and ask people like, like what happened or, like what's going on with you today. And don't just assume something, just because someone else said or someone else is accusing. Or there's a lot of, you know, like publicity or towards something doesn't make it necessarily true. So we have to, yeah, we have to ask and and find out, find out that and giving giving that person. Um, I guess it's like in, a, in the the day in court kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So they can an opportunity yeah. to, an opportunity to, to yeah. explain things to explain themselves, and so I think that's really important. Yeah, I love that. So, I can so resonate with this. So often, the word judgment can is just laced with so much baggage, but when you read through Scripture, judgment is not typically talked about in a negative sense. By God's people, it's often referred to as a positive thing, like God. Like how often does David say, please come, God, and judge. Judge the people who are who are doing these wicked things, right? And I love this. In Daniel chapter 7, it makes this promise, and he says, I was watching, da 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 until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. It's It's actually through God's judgment that those who are saved by faith in Jesus' name experience salvation. It's because of God's judgment. It's not like as opposed to God's judgment. Isn't that interesting? Like judgment is good for those who have surrendered to Jesus. It's that simple. So we can put our faith and our hope and our trust in God, and judgment is then not something to be afraid of but something to look forward to because guess what? The person who's going to judge you is the same person who died for you. 
Like who, <laughs> you have never had a better situation to have somebody be your judge. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he knows the secret thoughts of the hearts of every person. He knows the situation like nobody else does. And he's going to reveal those things. It's powerful. And I want to end it with who the sun sets free or oh, is free indeed. And, Boom. Then, and then it just, yeah. So that's totally. Awesome. Totally. Something else that I think we can take out of this is, well, well, there's so many things. Jesus says he is the light of the world. And it is only when you're walking with Jesus that you can truly see things as they are. And that's not just to say like like in some sort of uh, superstitious kind of way, oh, I'm walking with Jesus. I see everything clearly. No, no, no. I'm not talking about being proud. I'm talking about when you come with a humble heart, Jesus will reveal things to you. And all the darkness, not just around you, but in you will become apparent. And God will reveal those things. So it's powerful, man, because I want to see the truth for what it is. Even Even the truths in my own heart that are problems, because it's the problems we don't know about that can't be fixed. You get what I mean? Yeah. And this is one of the truths of, of, of scripture is that it's, you know, it's, we, we read about this in John chapter one, those who come into the light, right? There are those who loved darkness. They didn't want to be exposed, but those who come and expose themselves to the light, all of these things that are seen in us that are of us don't, don't have any good or merit to them. It's only the God's works that are the good things in our life. And that becomes clear. So I love that. Another thing that I think is really powerful out of this, and we talked about this a little bit, and you just mentioned the he who the sun sets free is free indeed, is just the idea that true freedom is not found in just going about doing whatever you think is right, right, mm. and whatever he thinks is right or she thinks is right, but true, true freedom is found in following the principles of God's design, and we find those in God's word. And so if you want to live the freest, most vi- you know, vivacious life, exciting, fulfilling, profound, purpose-filled, meaningful, joyful life, you will find it by abiding in Jesus and abiding in his word and allowing him to direct your path so that your will begins to align with his will as he's revealed in scripture. And that only can happen by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we need that Holy Spirit to lead us. So I think that's a really powerful thing. Any more that you wanted to add? No, I, that was perfect. The freedom, that, that was my next one. <laughs> oh, cool, man. Something else that I really like in this chapter um, is even though this woman was not probably brought to Jesus in a situation where she was like, yeah, I'm ready to go to Jesus right now. It was actually there, the fact that she was brought to Jesus, that she discovered what freedom looked like. She discovered where forgiveness was found. And it's really interesting to me, and I, I'm scared I'm going to miscommunicate this and it's not going to make sense, there were people who were coming to Jesus in that story, but they weren't coming to Jesus with the right reasons. And so they walked away without achieving what Jesus came to give to them, right? The Pharisees came to Jesus. They came to accuse everyone else, not because they even cared about everyone else, but because they wanted to get Jesus, right? They wanted to get Jesus out. And so they were manipulating everything, all of this stuff. Why? To try and save their own skin, their own clout, their own pride, and they walked away unforgiven. They walked away not having received the redemption that Jesus came to give to them. Because Jesus died for every one of those people too. Mm. And I think it's really powerful that when we come to Jesus, we, we can come with the attitude of humility and of confession and repentance. And when we come that way to Jesus, we know that we can walk away forgiven. So come to Jesus today, my friends. Don't walk away unforgiven, but walk away forgiven. And remember, my friends, as you go about your week, that real faith is live faith.
I'm kind of home Sick for a country To which I have never been before No sad goodbyes Up there Time won't matter anymore. land I'm longing for you, and someday on the I'll stand. Sweet. 